Lord, thank you so much for getting to come here tonight. God, I ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear that the message of your son and your story would be super clear tonight. And God, we ask that this would honor you, glorify you, your son's name. Amen. Well, I love stories. And I know all of you love stories because you probably got the same email that I did today or last week, or maybe it's going to be this coming week, where you say, uh, your subscription renewed. Congratulations, right? Because this time of year, it's when all of those stories, uh, otherwise known as streaming services, hit your bank account and you try to make the most of it and get the deals that you can, whether it's Black Friday or Christmas. And um, I think that's really important for us. I got an email today, of course, one of those, you know, you forget and then you're like, oh, that's, that's why 50 bucks just got drafted from my bank account. I was wondering what that was. It's because we love stories and I love stories. And story is something that people have talked about for a long time. And I would love just to share with you tonight um, a little bit about how God has communicated his story. And I don't want to be cheesy about it, but we all know that history is also his story, okay? You're in church. I got to do it. Sorry. Um, but this is, this is a key message for us, even from the gospel writers 2,000 years ago. In fact, this is how the Apostle John begins his story. In John 1.14, uh, or 1, 1 through 3, he says that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. And then later on, to skip down, verse 14, he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus made all things, this passage tells us, the gospel writer tells us, and they exist for him. Why? Another way that we could say it, and certainly a way I think John would be totally happy with, is to say that he's the author. He is the author of the story. And this is a message that comes through so clearly when we read, in fact, Maybe just tonight, by getting a snippet of Genesis to Revelation, you could catch a little bit of the intention of the author to say that before time began, there was a story in the mind of God, and certainly after time ends, there is a story in the mind of God. And so much of human history has been filled with this message, signposts or wayfinding, if you want to think about it that way, throughout human history of what is the story and what is the message. And this time of year is the time of year where we celebrate a huge signpost in the redemptive story, in the incarnation. And this is, this is really key for us because John also says, as he's recounting Jesus's story, that he was in the world and the world was made through him. And yet, the world did not know him. As, uh, as Shakespeare has said, of course, all the world is a stage. 
and all the men and women are merely players. This is not just a perspective of people who study the Bible, or it's not just a perspective of biblical writers. This is, in fact, how many people view their life. And I would argue pretty much everybody views their life. The Netflix shows, the Disney, the HBO, whatever it is, in our leisure time, especially this time of year, what we gravitate to are stories, and we fill our time with them. And I'm not going to say whether or not that that's a good thing or a bad thing. It could be a bad thing, right? It depends on how many hours, I guess, you're watching uh, and what else is burning around you and you don't really do anything about. But this is a time of year where we certainly focus on story. And so it's a time where we can kind of highlight, and my hope for you in this little sermonette is at the end of it that you would be able to walk away saying, when I now engage in story, here's how I can think about the gospel. Here's how I can think about God. And um, there's no one better in history that I can go to to help me with this than one of the best stories, if not the best, outside of the Bible, and that is going to be The Lord of the Rings. It has to be. I'm sure that just by a show of hands, I'm, I'm curious how many of you have done a marathon, watch-a-thon, right, Lord of the Rings so far this year? Wow, that's not that many. I thought it was going to be more. Extended edition, of course. But J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and many other things, uh, Silmarillion, if you really want to go for, you know, a uh, uh, route down the rabbit hole, um, had a great, great love for story. And in fact, he is somebody that almost single-handedly brought fiction back since the Dark Ages. And as somebody who focused so much on stories, one thing he talked about almost exclusively was fairy stories. And when we think of stories or fairy stories, we often think of Tinkerbell. Okay, can I just tell you, he never thought of Tinkerbell when he said fairy stories. There was no little thing with wings. Um, It was often marked by these these very um, dangerous ventures into another realm. But as he's talking about story, and as he's thinking about the Bible, because Tolkien was a Christian, he was Catholic, and he focused much on the Bible, he said all kinds of things in uh, letters to his sons and other people. And here's something that he said about fairy stories. Um, he, He coined a phrase here, and the phrase is eucatastrophe. Now, I know this is a great word that you can use tomorrow night over dinner with your family to impress them, okay? Catastrophe, you catastrophe. It's pretty simple. It just means um, two words sandwiched together, the first being catastrophe, which is actually the Greek word where we get the word from. Um, And then he did something nobody else had done in history up to this point. He took the prefix, good, and he slapped it right onto the front. And the way that Tolkien thought about fairy stories was to say that the best of them, the very best of them, fairy stories or even just outside of that, stories, the very best of them, they have this element where you have catastrophe, you have something horrible, you got something bad that happens, but at the same time, somehow, despite all odds, it turns out for good. In fact, you couldn't have the good without the bad. It's mixed in. And so the good catastrophe 
that he's talking about, he says this in a letter. He says, Eucatastrophe is the sudden happy turn in a story which pierces you with a joy that brings tears. And then he says this amazing thing. The resurrection, um, the resurrection, oh, sorry, I, I skipped ahead, skipped ahead. Sorry, my notes, cat. Don't worry about that. So he's going to uh, talk about the resurrection, but before that, he, he says this, that the story has entered history, this eucatastrophe, has entered history in the primary world. The way that he thought about storytelling was there's, there's one big story God's telling, but within that, there's a kind of secondary world. And he said, the birth of Christ is the eucatastrophe of man's history. What does that mean? The good catastrophe. The way that Tolkien read the Bible, which I think is the way that we should read the Bible, is to say that ever since Adam, there has been a descent of mankind spiraling downward. And somehow, totally unexpected, the author wrote himself into the story at one of the worst parts of human history. Not only did he write himself into the story, he then actually took on so much of the filth of the story. And this is so clear to us. Jesus is born, not anywhere. He's not born in a palace. He's born where? In a stable with animals and poop. (laughs) Who would do that? Jesus is right there in the thick of it. And so Tolkien looks at this story, that he was the one that John said he, he dwelt among us. That means tabernacled, like the Old Testament tabernacle, traveling wherever the Israelites would go. That he actually took on flesh, God, and he lived with his people. And so he's going to look at that and say, that moment, the incarnation, where Jesus comes, takes on flesh, is born into this broken world, with brokenness all around him. And he says that is the best catastrophe that could have ever happened in human history. The darkness has been pierced through with light. And this is, of course, um, not the only thing that he says about it, because then he says that there's another eucatastrophe that would happen. And that is the resurrection that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, get this, as he says, the eucatastrophe of the story of the incarnation. This story begins and ends with joy. And that's certainly the way that we should think about it. When we think of Christmas, we should think at the lowest point of human history, all of a sudden, the greatest good. And not only that, the eucatastrophe, he says, the the good catastrophe, this unexpected turn, this shocking, shocking twist in the plot line of God's story in humanity is the one who has come, God incarnate, now full of power and authority on the earth, casting out demons, healing people, three years of ministry, facing the Romans, facing the hypocrisy in his own country, dies 
for their forgiveness of sins so that anyone who puts their faith in him might have eternal life. As Paul says in Romans 8.28, talking about eucatastrophe, it's another way we could say it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. It's so easy for us to read the Bible, especially verses like this, and we can become trite with it. We can say, well, all things work together for good. And perhaps that even rubs you wrong tonight, that you've heard it so much in your life that you say, does it really? I think the message for us at Christmas time, certainly the message from the Bible and God's arc of history is to say, it does. And the beautiful thing about the incarnation that we celebrate is God is not distant. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. He is intimately involved in every aspect of history. And tonight, I think the message for you and the message for me is that looking at this story where Jesus came and he took on flesh and dwelt among his people is also for us to acknowledge that God is present with you in history now. In fact, the message to his disciples, his apostles, to go and spread to the rest of the world was to go and proclaim this gospel, this good news. Preaching it to everyone on the planet. Because God's desire is for you to recognize your place in his story. And so tonight, I just want to ask you, and hopefully you you leave and you go watch your shows tonight and tomorrow and however long, and you think, where am I in this arc of redemptive history? Where is my life? Where is my relationship with God? Because to tell you bluntly, you are not on your own. Your life, your circumstances of your life, your family, your friends, all of it fits into God's story. And I would love for you to leave tonight just pondering. At some point later on, everything's quiet. Where am I at in the history of God's story? Do you have this joy-sorrow, this combination? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for life in him. God, we pray that as we hear the gospel message, Christ coming, living, dying, rising in our place, it would take root in us. And we would rejoice in being a part of his story. In your son's name, amen.